0: Um, had a great vacation. Uh, I went where everybody goes in July for a great vacation, Texas, because it's so nice uh, this time of year there. Uh, we, uh, before we came here 17 years ago, we lived in Texas, and so we kind of had a friend vacation. We did a tour of Texas, the towns that our friends had all settled in from our time there. Uh, it was great. I, I got th- one of the first questions you ask when you see people after a long time is how's it going? And then if you're a guy, usually you, you go quickly to the business side of things. How's business? How's your job? How's and and so all of my friends that we visited, five or six different couples, um, you know, just got kind of a feeling. One of them's a landscaper. One of the, a couple of them are in sales, software companies. Uh, there's a, a, a guy who's actually the vice president of a, of a national tow truck company, which is always fun to talk to him. Tow trucks. Um, but but they talk to me about their business. Uh, They're all in the business of something, vehicles, software, uh, business applications. Uh, Some of them are real estate, uh, you know, brokers, and they're in the the real estate business. On the count of three, everybody tell me, either, you know, if you're doing it now or you retired from it, what was your business? Ready? One, two, three. Someone said stress. Did I hear stress? (laughs) Sorry, that's a tough job. I I left those conversations uh, thinking, what is my business? In my job, and, and, you know, the people like me, what's our business? And some of you would say, well, it's church business. And certainly that would work. Um, God business, another fitting. But here's what I I discerned. I figured this out. I'm in the belief business. In fact, the church for 2,000 years has been in the belief business. We are here on earth as those who believe in Christ— Uh, with the mission of sharing him so that others might believe in Christ. When we say that we exist to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples around here, we're saying we are believers who are committed to helping people believe. I'm in the belief business. Makes sense. Even as you read the book of John, you see our Savior Jesus. His mission, his business was the belief business, starting with his first disciples. And then moving through all of the things that he experienced with them. He, he kept explaining to people, whether it was uh, through the, the, the mighty miracles that he was able to display or, or through the things that he taught them. Here's what I need you to believe. I am the Son of God. Later on in this book, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You've got to believe that so everything he did, whether it was turning water to wine or wrecking the temple, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, you know like last week, Travis talked to us about healing a lame man or, or, you know, long distance healing some man's son. Whatever he did as far as his miracles, it always backed up his message. And his message was simple. I am the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament. I am the Son of God. You must believe in me. He said to Nicodemus, God loved the world so much. That he sent his only son so that whoever, say it with me, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was in the believe business. It's no wonder that we who follow him are in the believe business as well. We're going to take the next couple weeks and we're going to walk through some of the things that Jesus says here in in John chapter 5. It's one of his first long diatribes as John reports it here in the gospel. He's had some conversations, you know, with Nicodemus, with the woman at the well. But here, he's just kind of addressing some people who, by the way, are not believing him or believing in him. And he's going to explain to them, here's the deal. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. We're going to take a couple weeks and talk about belief. But before we do that, can we all agree that belief is a big part of life just in general? I mean... Tons of books have been dedicated to belief, tons of, of poems and, and, and tons of songs. I actually did this download this week. I went online and I said, what are the top ten songs about believing in pop history? We're going to sing a couple of them, but you guys talk to each other. Name, name them all together. What are the top songs about believing in pop history? Can anybody think of any? Don't tell me, tell each other. How do you put a guitar on? You can do Christian songs too if if you grew up not being allowed to listen to the radio like me. I made up for lost time though. Anybody got some? Okay. The monkeys. who's old enough? Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer Got a trace Come on! Doubt in my mind I'm in love I'm a believer I couldn't leave her If I tried Alright, not bad They sang another one Everybody remember this one? A dream believer And my homecoming Anyway then you move forward in time and someone already yelled this one Don't don't stop believe Hold on to that and street lights come on people <sighs> That hurts Twenty-five years ago, the first version of this movie came out. There's a new one in the theaters, but Space Jam. Anybody remember this one? I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. Spread my wings and fly away. I think that guy's in jail. Is he in jail? I think he's in jail. Is that R. Kelly? I think he's in jail. Anyway. And then who could forget this one? The birth of auto tune. Do you believe in life after love? Share fans? No share fans? (laughs) I can feel something inside me say, I really don't think you're strong enough. No. Do you believe in life after love? No, nobody's with me on that one. Okay. There you go. So, a couple things about believing as we get going this morning. Belief, that's the first one. Everybody see if you agree with me on this one. Belief is at the center of most of our successes and failures. Anybody remember the story about the little train that could? What did he tell himself going up the hill? What? I think I can. I think I can. That's belief. And if you don't think you can, you probably cannot. Now, I said most because there's a lot of people who think they can and they should not. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Who's watched like the first episodes of the American Idol, you know, show back in the days, right? Someone should have told those people. You cannot. But belief is at the, the center. Confidence, self-belief is at the center of our successes. The failure to have confidence is in the middle of our failures. I played basketball in high school and college, and I was never afraid to shoot. Super Super confident. Every time I took a shot, it was going in. I just knew. They didn't all go in. But I just knew when I shot this, I'm the best one on the team to take this shot. I'm taking it. Off we go. Uh, I I had an unflagging self-belief until late in the games when it would be crunch time. Uh, And they would foul you. It would be a tie game. There would be a few seconds left. You'd be standing on the free throw line. And if if you don't, everybody familiar with the freeze, there's no one guarding you. You're 15 feet from the basket. You've shot thousands, literally thousands of this shot. You have your own routine. You dribble three times. You take one deep breath and you pump and shoot. And I could make them in my sleep with my eyes closed. I could do that. But when the pressure was on, that whole question of, can I do this? would well up in my heart. Ben Simmons is a professional basketball player on the Philadelphia 76ers. He shot like 25 for 76 in the most recent NBA playoffs. And it wasn't because he couldn't shoot free throws. It just got in his head that he couldn't shoot free throws. So guess what? He didn't shoot free throws. Confidence, a big player. Self-belief matters when it comes to successes and failures. How about this? Belief determines world history. Anybody a history buff? And if you study the history of the world, you're studying studying a great part, either the beliefs of that culture or the way that their beliefs shaped that culture and history. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I watched a recent Netflix documentary called How to Become a Tyrant. Has anybody seen this one? I recommend it. It's actually uh, fascinating because it goes through uh, six of our uh, most nefarious strongmen. And it talks about how they came to power and kept power. Certainly there was military might and... And, and, and lots of other things that went into it, but one of the central themes in every dictator's success was their control of information. They would basically take control of the media and they would only publish the things that would forward their narrative. Everybody remembers Hitler? That's how he got a nation to basically rise up. He, he blamed the Jews for the Germans' you know, uh, you know, downfall and, 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 and World War II came as a result. You got Stalin in Russia. I learned this on the documentary. Millions of people died of hunger in Ukraine and Stalin never reported it to the rest of Russia. In fact, he gave a completely different version of those facts and was able to keep his power as a result. The Kim dynasty in North Korea, come on. They've convinced an entire nation that they're gods, they're deities. And because they have blocked any other influence from the outside, an entire world, country, continues to to live in fear and in belief. Of their leader beliefs determine world history because this third thing is true people choose what they want to believe belief is optional it's personal people will believe even after receiving overwhelming evidence that what they believe is untrue you ever notice this i told this story before but i had a friend in uh, college who was a music buff like me and one day we were riding up the elevator in our dorm and uh, he started humming the, the, the tune of a Toto song called Hold the Line. Anybody know that one? And, uh, and so I started humming with him, and then we got to the part where his humming became the chorus, and he said this, Toe the line, love is a cold breeze on time. Okay, some of you don't know the song. That is not the song at all. There is no toe the line, and there is certainly no nonsensical love is a cold breeze on time that doesn't even so I, I looked at him i said what are you doing it's like i'm singing my favorite song i'm like no you're not that's not how it goes he's like it's totally how it goes it's like i got the cd in my dorm room let's go and so i took him to my dorm room the cds are what music used to be on They're circular uh before that there were albums anyway uh But I'm like, and I put the CD in my CD player and I, and I, they had liner notes. Back before Google, there was liner notes. And, and, and I showed him, I I said, look, the name of the song is Hold the Line, not Toe the Line. And then I I cranked the chorus and the chorus is Hold the Line, Love Isn't Always on Time. Makes sense. But he (laughs) sang his version as loud as he could over the top of the actual song and continued throughout our friendship to hold to his, wrong belief. Listen, I'm not going to parse this all out, but, but let's all admit that sometimes it's hard to know what to believe. Sometimes it's it's just, you know, we're, we're dug in and we're not going to, you know, change what we believe. But, but then sometimes it's just really hard to, to know what to believe. I, I showed this picture a few weeks ago in our mind series, Becoming Masters of Our Minds. Um, And and remember I showed this to you, and some of you looked at it, and you saw an old lady. She's got the big nose right there, and that's her eyeball and her hairline. But some of you looked at it, and you saw the young lady who's kind of looking the other direction, and and what would be the old lady's eye is that young lady's ear, and she's, you know, what the old lady's lips would be is the young lady's uh, necklace or whatever. Everybody see those, two? And your initial sight of that thing, uh, you compute in your brain what you think you see, but it's both. And it's hard for us sometimes, especially in the age of information that we have, to make up our mind about what's true. We're inundated with versions of truth. I mean, we've all, you know, lived that for the last year and a half. This pandemic, if it did nothing, um, it polarized our nation even more. This is what's really going on. No, this is what's really going on. You should wear a mask. You shouldn't wear a mask. You should get vaccinated. You shouldn't get vaccinated. It's still happening. Some of you are getting riled up, and even talking about it. But people, you know, it's so funny as, as a church, we got, you know, uh, lamb-based on the one side for requiring mass and lamb-based on the other side for having church, you know, meet in person. And, and people would send us websites and videos and just their versions of the truth, right? <laughs> it's hard to know what to believe. But in the end, here's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks: belief shapes life, always. What you believe will determine how you live, always. It's with this in mind that John wrote his gospel. We've read these verses in many of the sermons that we've preached here from the gospel of John, but I'll say it again in John 20, verse 30 and 31. John writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these that are written are written so that you may what? Believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God. I wrote everything that I wrote in the last 20 chapters so that you who read it in the age that I wrote it in and everybody for the next 2,000 years and beyond might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I grew up uh, in school playing the game Simon Says. Better play Simon Says? In fact, let's play Simon Says real quick. We're playing Simon Says right now. Okay, everybody stand up. Okay, you're out. All of you are out. You're totally out. That's like the oldest one in Simon Says book history. We're starting to play Simon Says right now. That was the beginning of the game. And then I said, stand up. You didn't wait for Simon Says. Half the room was out. I th- that's amazing. Some of you caught it. You were like, Oh. Used to love that game because you could only do what Simon says. That's how, and they, the guy would go faster and faster, and ultimately someone would, you know, be the last one standing. Does everybody understand that we've been given the scriptures? We've been given God's revelation so that we could live the Jesus says life. So that we could have our faith in Him, believe in Him, but then in believing in Him, have life in His name. Have the Jesus says life. It's not a game, it's, it's, it's life. But, uh, the parallels exist. We're, we're in life to do the Jesus says stuff. And nothing less. Nothing more. In fact, the church exists, as we've already said, to help people believe in Jesus and to hold what he says above all other things in life. It's the backstop, the, the buck stops here for every idea and choice. But here's the deal. Anybody heard this? There's this part of us, this unfortunate, sinful nature part of us, that not only wants to disbelieve in God and defy him, but chooses to live outside the Jesus says life all the time. Like even for those of us who are most seasoned in our faith, we've believed for a long time and believed hard. We're like serious, right? We still have these pockets, these moments, as I was made fun of. We have these pieces of our lives that we're like, I don't believe what God says about this part. Or I don't believe he'll mess with me if I keep doing this. Right? Whatever we, and, and listen, that all comes, the Bible makes that clear for us. It all comes from this side of us that is a part of the first man and woman's choice to disbelieve in God. Everybody gets, that's, that's the first sin, is disbelief. Satan comes into the garden, talks a bunch of mess, misinformation. And the first sin in Eve's heart and mind is disbelief in the truth that she has known about her father. And we're all in Adam. As it's described here by Paul in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what's it say? Suppress the truth. disbelieve the truth. Minimize the truth what can be known, uh, Paul goes on to write, about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How? Uh, for the invisible ad- attributes of God, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So we as humanity are out without excuse. But even I'm not going to litigate the creation's you know uh, argument right now but what 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 was what was one of the foundational shiftings in our country as we shifted from believing that God is the creator to believing that God doesn't exist and so therefore there was a big bang and it's a you know funny TV show now but uh, you know uh, uh, all of these things have been taken away because we disbelieve in the God story and we choose to believe in something that we can get our arms around more or think we can both are faiths by the way it's an theory of evolution it's a belief but god says no i've shown you myself just look around i always tell you this look at your eyeballs you want to discount evolution look at your eyeballs you're telling me billions of years uh, you know of 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 non-thinking you know beings uh, just existing could could perceive what sight is and then somehow genetically devise and create eyeballs come on it just sounds silly to me. Just look at eyeballs and know that there's a God. <laughs> I get lost here. So they're without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, this is, this is the story of mankind. Man did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, and they became futile in their thinking, disbelievers, and their foolish hearts were dogged, and they claimed to be wise. But what were they really? They were fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we worship the created. We worshiped ourselves, our own minds, our own thoughts, and we discounted the existence of God and disbelieved in him. And we know from the rest of scripture that this is a problem because in Hebrews it tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So belief shapes life. When it comes to God, our belief in him will shape our lives. Belief shapes life. And so the question I want to ask you today is, what are you believing in yours, in your life? What are you believing? I'm sure on Sunday morning, it's easy to believe in God. We're singing his songs. The guys up there, we're talking about them, right? But then you go to your jobs or to your schools or to your friend groups or your neighborhoods or whatever. And maybe the belief in God thing um, starts to come under attack. Starts to feel less plausible, certainly feels less comfortable. We can run into situations where God isn't acting fast enough or in the way that we want him to. We enter into these crises of faith. Today as we enter into one of these longer runs of Jesus' teaching here in the book of John, we're going to see three things that Jesus says about himself in the wake of his healing of a lame man. We're going to see, first of all, that just like our world, people in Jesus' world had a hard time uh, believing in what he said. People have always had a hard time believing in Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 18 of John chapter 5. This is why the Jews um, uh, were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he healed this lame guy, if you were here last week, on Saturday. Which was a big Jewish no-no. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. So he wasn't only just breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. He was intimating that there was a special connection between him and his father and making himself equal with God. Three things that Jesus says about himself here in this little run. Jesus totally doubles down. (laughs) He has no fear. He's in a situation where people are angry, plotting his death, seeking to kill him. And he's just like, hey, fellas, here's the truth. Deal first thing he tells us is that the Father and I are one. Therefore, I am God. I'm going to kind of skip around the next 10 verses kind of, you know, as as they speak to these three ideas. So starting in verse 19, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, anytime you see truly, truly, it's for real, for real. No doubt, no doubt. Listen up, listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does... That the son does likewise. Inextricably linked. For the father loves, verse 20, the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. I'm in on it. I'm with the father on it. And greater works than these, Jesus says, he will show uh, so that you may marvel all the more. I'm not just going to heal lame guys. I'm going to raise people from the dead. He's going to actually refer to that in just a little bit. I'm going to die myself and come back to life. There's going to be things that dwarf what you've seen so far. But what's his central thought here? He's like, the Father and I are one. It's the same thing that John wrote to open his gospel. It says this in the first chapter, first words of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. If you were here that week, we figured out that the word capitalized there is a name for Jesus himself. So you can switch out word with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus say it with me was God and is God. He's not some kind of, you know, step below, he's not some reflection of God, he is God himself. He was in the beginning with God. All things, it says in verse 3, were made through him. Just as creation had been attributed to God the Father, it is understood that the Word, Jesus, was there at creation. And he and the Father and the Spirit as one triune God were the ones responsible for the creation of all that was made. Jesus is saying, I'm God. and We must decide when he says this whether we believe him or not. You can't kind of take the middle road on Jesus. C.S. Lewis brought this out in his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, It's been later adapted into a a phrase that we use in in teaching uh, that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Because the claims that he made about himself uh, were so crazy that he is God. As a man in the flesh, he is God. That He either is God and we see him as Lord or he's crazy and thinks he's God or he's a charlatan. And he's lying to gain some kind of power. He wouldn't be the first one to do that. But Jesus, his first claim, the thing that he asks us is to believe is that he is God, the Son and the Father are one. The second claim that Jesus gives here in these verses is that, is that I have the power to give life. It says in verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus had just illustrated this in, in some way, hadn't he? He had just healed a lame guy. What, was, what, what makes a lame guy a lame guy? He's got dead legs. They don't work. Haven't worked since birth. And however it worked, I don't know if they were deformed legs, and Jesus you know, miraculously gave this guy muscle tone and, and straightened bones, or I don't know how it worked, but things that were dead now had life. A guy who couldn't walk moments before was now running around the temple skipping around on his new legs jesus is like hey man i'm the life giver i'm the redeemer i bring dead things back to life he says later in uh in in verse 24 truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what eternal life well now he's expanding it i'm not just talking about legs coming back to life i'm talking about souls Existing eternally with God because of your belief in me. I have the power to give life. That man does not come into judgment, but has passed from life or from death to life. He's, he's basically, in other words, saying what he said to Nicodemus. That God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. So that whoever believes in him, what? Will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's the gospel. It's our gospel. Jesus is sent from God. He is God as the son of God. He is the the giver. He has the power to issue life. He did it at creation, physically, and he does it through his crucifixion and resurrection. He regenerates us spiritually. Verse 25 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. Usually in John, when that phrase is issued, an hour is coming, he's referring to his crucifixion. But here he refers to some of the results that will come as... Uh, as people believe in his work on the cross. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What's he saying? Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, as the scriptures teach us, will hear the good news that Jesus came to give. They'll believe in what he accomplished on the cross and in their belief they will be given new life. Verse 26, for the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Where have I read this before? How about the first chapter of John again? Where after saying that the Word was with God and the Word was God, John says this about the Word, about Jesus. He says, in him, in Jesus, was life, the power to give life. And his life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcoming the third thing Jesus is God Jesus has the power to give life and Jesus says this in this first part of his diatribe here in John 5 he says I have the authority to judge I have the authority to judge verse 22 says this for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son Jesus will stand in judgment over all of humanity, all of creation. He does this so that God gives, the Father gives judgment to the Son so that all may honor the Son just as uh, they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Again, we're together. If you honor him, you'll honor me. If you honor me, you'll honor him. Verse 27 says this, And he has given, God has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. don't have a lot of time to go into that, but these Jews would understand. Son of man, that's the prophecy that Daniel gave us. That's the Messiah. Jesus is saying, that's me. God has given me this authority because I am the son of man. Verse 28 says this, do not marvel at this, because they're all probably just standing there being like, what is this guy talking about? He's a carpenter from Nazareth. I don't know how he did the, the lame guy trick. But this stuff is crazy. This stuff is heresy. He's saying that he's God, that he has the power to give life, that he has the authority to judge. Jesus sees this and says, hey, fellas, shut your mouth. Quit gaping at me. Don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment if i had more time this is so great but if you go to matthew 27 guess what happens when jesus dies on the cross does anybody remember what happens in matthew 27 verse 52 it tells us that the tombs around jerusalem opened up and dead people walked out of them and they walked into town and they testified that i'm alive because that guy died read it it's in there so you are like really yeah And guess what happens when you and I die? If we have faith in Jesus, if we have believed, then that death, that physical death, will not hold us. We will rise again to a life with Christ eternal. Jesus is the giver of life. He's the judge over all of us. He is God. And the time that I have left, which is very short, (laughs) I ask you again. If belief shapes life shapes life ah, if belief shapes life how are your beliefs shaping your life do you believe that jesus is god now some of you i know you're ready to leave better your seats yes how much so much that you would share that belief with whoever wherever whenever and however i wrote this email a couple weeks ago a remarkable thing one of the most remarkable things in my 35 plus years of worshiping jesus happened i'm sitting in texas roadhouse they've had several people get celebrated for their birthdays hate that can't stand that if you like that have fun but i'm like i'm not at your birthday party quit singing by my head (laughs) ebenezer scrooge all right uh So that's happened a couple times. And standing over by the bar, here comes another kid in the Roadhouse t-shirt. And he gets, can I have your attention please? I'm like, here we go again. Birthday number 12 on this night where I just wanted to have a steak. And this kid did something I've never seen before. I pray I see again. Can I just let you know that there is a God. That he is as real as real can be. That he loves you. And this kid, without going to everything he said, spent the next two minutes, three minutes sharing the gospel in a loaded Texas Roadhouse. I don't know if it was his last day at work, and he's like, bug it, I'm going. All right? But he stood by the bar in Texas Roadhouse. And he not only shared the gospel, he says, And right here in front of your stakes, if anybody here wants to receive Jesus, you can pray this simple prayer. And he led people through the prayer in Texas Roadhouse. Okay. That is cool. That is cool. Would you do that? I'm not saying everybody's got to go to lunch and stand up in your restaurant. But I am saying that if the Spirit prompts us, if we really believe that Jesus is God, the joy of our salvation should flow from us to those who don't know Him. Know Him because it's our mission. We're in the belief business. Belief shapes life. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's God? Maybe this week we'll have the opportunity to tell someone it's true. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to give life? Here's where this comes into play. Our lives get trouble all the time. There's there's threats to life, whether it's physical maladies or spiritual problems. You know what God wants for all of us, what Jesus wants? Is saying when he says, I have the power to give life, he's saying, in the situations in your life where it feels like things are dying, trust me. Trust me. If you're going through cancer, like my brother Thurman Lois, yeah, I see the doctors and do everything that medicine will provide, but trust me for the healing that I can give. Spiritually, if you're seeing people that you love, start to die in their faith, like so many parents here have watched children walk away. Trust me, because I have the power to give life. I have the power to overcome those who would stray from me in their belief. I can snap their heads around like I snapped around the head of a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And I can turn the one who is wayward into one of the the key leaders in my kingdom. I have the power to do that. Just trust me. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to give life? Trust him. And then do you believe that Jesus has the authority to judge? Anybody? Okay, then obey him. Obey him. If you believe he's God, share him. If you believe that he has the power to give life, trust him. If you believe that he is the authority who can judge, obey him. Who hasn't been pulled up at a stoplight and had a sheriff's deputy car come up behind you? Now you may not have been paying attention to the traffic laws before that, but as soon as you see that that sheriff's car pull up behind you, you are 10 and 2, you are blinker boy, right? You are, I mean, it is five miles below, right? Until he finally zooms past you and then you start speeding again like you were before he got there, right? But while he's there, while the authority is present, you're obedient. Look at me! God is omnipresent. His son is everywhere. Wherever you go, there he is. And so if you will say in your hearts, in your minds that you believe that Jesus is God, share him. If you believe that Jesus is able to give life, trust him. If you believe that Jesus is your authority who can judge you, obey him. Not so that you can avoid the punishment, but because you want to please him and honor him. and Give to him what he deserves. For all that he's given us. All right, that's all I got. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a song that we sing around here about what we believe. Here's the deal you can walk out of here having just had another day at church. It's time for brunch or lunch or whatever you go to next. Or you can walk out of here praying together in your cars for God to give you belief. In ways that you haven't had belief remember the guy in the book of john his son's a a a guy who's been stricken by a demon and he says to jesus hey if you could heal him I, i pray that you would and jesus says if i could if i could heal him remember what the guy says oh no 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 don't get me wrong i believe and then you remember what he says after that help me with my unbelief that's the church's mission we're in the belief business We're here on Sundays to be restored to our belief, to our faith. We're here in our families, in our relationships, in our life groups to be belief supporters. So leave here today remembering what you believe. Committed to Jesus who is the Son of God, who is the one who has the power to give life, who has the authority to judge. We believe. Let's sing.